This is First Nature with your host, Sean Barry, on the Rising Man Podcast. Good day to you, Rising Man family. This is Sean Barry coming at you with another installment of First Nature, your nature connection source for the Rising Man community. And today I'm uh, looking forward to sharing this episode with you. I dropped in with a dear, dear friend of mine, uh, Miss Lisa Doran up in Inverness, California. Lisa is someone I consider an elder for me. She's uh, got a few years on me and um, definitely has experienced a different kind of life. And, uh, and we really connected in a program we did about 10 years ago. And uh, every since then, I've um, you know made it a point to stay connected to her and to seek out um, her wisdom and uh, to just to listen to her stories and to uh, just to be in her presence, which I find really um, delightful. And um, and being with her makes me feel seen, makes me feel heard. I feel like she, to a large part, gets me, or at least is willing and uh, passionate about trying to get me. So what I'm describing really is just, uh, you know, what makes an elder for me. And uh, I sat down with Lisa to talk about uh, all kinds of things. So this isn't really uh, an interview about what an elder is. It's more about how an elder is from my perspective, what, what makes someone an elder to me. So I hope you get something from uh, this uh, conversation we're about to drop into. And uh, yeah, we get into everything, just going back to her growing up as a, a little girl in Southern California and how nature occurred to her at that age as kind of this, you know, un- thing she was unaware of uh, all the way up through to where she's been living for um, nearly going, I don't know, I, w- I don't want to say half a century, but she's pretty close to half a century up there in Inverness where she's had just a, a beautiful life, um, making time and space to take herself out onto the land there, onto the beaches, into the bay, and spending time just taking it in, observing nature. When we go out into the land, while we may never say a word as we watch all that happens, uh, we do receive a story. Mythology, analogy, metaphor, nature's rich with instruction revealed through our capacity for storytelling and imagination. And this is where I really feel that uh, Lisa shines. Um, she's able just to take her, her experience of just uh, being a sacred observer of this beautiful planet and all the elements of life and uh, flora, fauna, the mineralia that is around us. Just taking it in, seeing her part as uh, uh, you know, on the stage of this um, you know, magnificent experience we're all getting to share on planet Earth and to speak to it, to talk about it, to find the ceremony and the ritual, um, bringing imagination and creativity. Uh, you know, these are ways we reflect and respond to what is being shown to us out there. You know, Lisa says that singing and dancing, painting, drawing, playing, uh, this is how we find our way into understanding what we are experiencing um, and what nature shows us. So uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation we have. For now, I give you Lisa Doran. Guess I just would love to hear 
I mean, I know a lot of your story, but I don't really know. I don't. I mean, when I think about, it, I don't really know like how, how, and when did nature become sort of this aspect of life that has been like a, a strong root for you. Yeah. Yeah. Was that something that happened when you were a kid, or just kind of well, materialized you know, over time? Or? It's sort of um, when I think about that, and I have because. It was sort of not part of my life. It was, um, you know, we, when I think about my life sort of coming into clarity, which was when we moved to Los Angeles. And it was this little row of houses up on this hill that had just been put in. So these 10 houses with a huge canyon at the end and, and all this land around. And so here were these 10 families, basically the same picture, which was the mothers were deposited into these houses with their kids and the fathers took off for wherever their business was. And, and I've seen, I remember, you know, there was, it was just like rattlesnakes and mm. ants and, and my mom was completely not, I'm sure she was fucking terrified. You couldn't go into the canyon, never go into the canyon and nobody ever took me into the canyon. And then across the street, I realized were these old ladies named the Bathies that years later I realized they were right there. Why couldn't, and you weren't supposed to go over there because they'd shoot you. <laughs> and, and then behind us was sort of this fire break with tumbleweeds and we would dig um, holes and then fill, you know, fill the top with tumbleweeds and then go down there and steal cigarettes from our parents <laughs> to smoke them. But, and we were outside all the time. My mother would lock us out of the house and you'd just be, but you really weren't supposed to do anything. Nature was not safe. So this little cul-de-sac, so sneaking around and being to some degree terrified that, you know, I would go down in the canyon and die. Right. The rattlesnake would bite me and you'd fall down a hole or, so there wasn't this great big call. Oh, I wish I, I wish I knew more. And it wasn't that. It was almost, I don't know. It was sort of underground. I remember thinking, land, self, and others. You know, when we were in our DNA, and thinking, well, that's exactly the opposite of how I was raised. Mm. You know, others is first. Absolutely, as a as a female, as a you have to take care of others first. Every self, eh, you know, okay, but don't be conceited or you know really think much of yourself. But but be a leader, you know, be exceptional, but don't let anybody know that you are. And then land, what's that got to do with it? You know, right. there's really no one was asking the land. But we were out there all the time, and I remember particularly, you know, rocks, big, huge boulders in Los Angeles, down in La Crescenta. These, you know, being able to crawl on these rocks and be up high a little bit, and there was a force in there. It's never been, I, I you think of, like, nature awareness. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. It was an awareness that came to me through land, plants, 
water that opened me up, but I didn't even really know. It wasn't like, oh, I want to do this now. Now I want to be this or I want to learn the birds or something. Yeah, it's not like just like a osmosis over time kind right. of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was all of it, not specifically. And so, you know, then I graduated from high school and did this summer theater at Occidental College. And then when I was done with that, I realized, oh, you know, I'm free. I'm, I can move to Inverness. Uh-huh. And so coming up here... And not knowing what was going, you know, wasn't to live up here was, who knew what was going to go on. And, but I know that I was called here now. I mean, I know that those of us who came at that time were being called here. As my friend Susan once said when we were snorting cocaine in the Haight-Ashbury firehouse that she lived in <laughs> after she lived out here and we'd started the nursery school together. And this was, she goes, you know, I can't believe that we... You know, we just thought we were going to live out there and raise chickens. You know, and I said, "Yeah." And ten years from now, we're going to be going. I can't believe we sat in the firehouse and hate after and snorted cocaine. You know? <laughs> and so there was this this wild calling to this land for people to be on this land. I think in a certain sort of way, and the hippies or the counterculture. Would you say there was any point in that time between just wanting to live here because it felt really beautiful and cool to be here to having a higher sense of like you have a vested commitment to this landscape consciously of saying like actually I'm going to stay here because I see how important it is to be a part of this landscape or was it not quite that distinct? I wish it was. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could say I mean, because I've heard you talk about this land, you know, around here in a way that feels really potent and powerful to you and seeing what others who have lived here as long as you are longer still don't see. So, and obviously, you, you know, we did RDNA, RDNA together, which was a very potent sort of eye-opening you know, yeah. program. So I'm just wondering, like, can you see anywhere in your just kind of arc of holding nature the way you do and yourself in it, that there was sort of a shift in awareness around like, oh, actually I am doing it this way. Or has it really just been this kind of trajectory of like just unfolding, unfolding, unfolding? I think it's been more of an unfolding in that way of, I knew this was where I needed, where I was supposed to be. And, you know, I would leave and go down to Los Angeles even during this time and do theater stuff and try to make my career. And I hated it. And I, I, none of it was right. And then I would have to return here. And there was no place else I wanted to be. And it was, but it wasn't, you know, when I was a kid, probably when I was a teenager, I found this book called on the loose it's about these two brothers i forget who they are and it was this beautiful came in a box and it was photographs of these two brothers had gone off all the time and they were just adventurers and 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 one of them had died on some adventure and mm-hmm. so this brother wrote this 
to have this book and it was all these quotes from different writers and stuff. And one of the pages was this picture of them on Point Ra on Drake's Beach, which I don't like to call, I just call it Elephant Seal Beach now. And they were walking in the cliffs and, and it said something like, um, you know, to know some places, to know it, and so, you know, is, is this thing, and and to know Point Reyes was to, you know, know Point Reyes in this way. And I remember just thinking, yeah, mm. but I didn't come from a family or anybody who was acknowledging that, or so I didn't even know really how to say that. It was just, that's what I'm talking about, you know, and every day, wherever I go for 50 years is the same place. I mean, these different places out here are the same place. They don't, they're changing, but they're essentially the same. But every day is completely different. I mean, it's just completely different. What's the, how the shoreline is, what the, what's strewn on the beach, what's, do I know the names of the seaweeds and what's going on? No, not at all. Am I completely affected by it? God. So we're just sort of having this dance without, you know, the other day I see this, this, this shape. It's kind of like that shape of that fern in that picture, this curlicue, this kind of comma shape in the sand. And I've been looking at all these shapes that that day was all these lines in the sand, but this is kind of big. And I look down at it and I realize there's a sand dollar at the end that's got some sand piled up around it. And I'm thinking, oh my God, did the sand dollar do this? Is the sand dollar moving? In all the 50 years that I've been out, I've never seen a sand dollar moving. And so I sit down and I look at it and the, it's just getting light. So the sun's coming and the little hairs on the top of this live sand dollars compared to just the sort of skeletal ones is are sort of tricking. I'm thinking, is that the wind or is that the sand dollar actually like, you know, all yeah, its little yeah. vibrating hair is moving it along. So, you know, it's imperceptible if it's moving or not. So I made a line, you know, <laughs> the finish line, <laughs> but it was like where it was back here to see if it moved away from that line. And I sat there for like 45 minutes and watched it move. Wow. <clears throat> I mean, it was so extraordinary. And that's right. You know, and it doesn't make me want to come home and look on, you know, look it up and find out about a sand roller. I don't, I don't care. Right. I got what I wanted. I got what I came for. You know, it's like that beauty and the miraculousness of what's going on um, is just, I don't know how people live without having that. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, what I hear is like, there's a certain kind of <clears throat> willingness to, 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 create the time and space to be present or to witness or just to observe whatever is going around as opposed to being in the busy mode of, you know, making a great lifestyle. <laughs> well, and, yeah, for sure. That's for sure. But uh, also, you know, like when we were in our DNA and track, you know, tracking and doing all these things, well, 
you know, I realized I was probably, I mean, what was that? 11 years ago. So I was, you know, still in my fifties and it was interesting and far out to do those things, but I wasn't going to go out on the land and track. I mean, I will, I tracked a sand dollar for God's sake. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> How many people have done that? So, you know, and I do look, I'm tracking everything all the time, mm-hmm. but not for the same thing, not for, I don't know, not to get anywhere, not to, 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 not to not know anything, but it's just working on me. It's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. playing with me. It's opening me up. And so, um, you know, when we would do those things, when we would be brought like in this, you know, I mean, a sit spot, that awareness and doing that together and that kind of work of doing something together and ensemble and listening and having, you know, this like big landscape and thinking like that was profound. Mm-hmm. And from my own little world and looking at things to then sharing it and opening it up and it being right here in my own backyard and Belina too, you know, that was, that was just another layer of, uh, but you know, there were a lot of very outdoorsy people and people who are naturalists and stuff in this community who really do do all that. And that never called to me. That never. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, to me, there's this, um, <clears throat> there's this thing around naming, you know, and I've, I, whenever I'm with kids, whatever, or even just adults who aren't familiar a lot with nature, I, I talk about it. And I like to say that uh, names are just shorthand for f- more efficient communication. Because I can say to you, you know, do you know the bird that's on the lawn in the morning with the chestnut back? It's got kind of an orange chest and it's got white rings around its eyes, fond of worms. <laughs> fond, fond, <laughs> fond of worms. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh yeah, the robin, right? It's like, <laughs> I can condense that whole description down to one word. Right. You know, and that's just so we can like get through conversation. Cause right. if we had to like say that thing every time, obviously, you know, we just spend a lot of time just going like, come on, come on. I got it. <laughs> and I also like to say, that's what we call it. I don't know what that bird's name is. It never told me, you know, there's a, there's, exactly. that, there's an aspect of um, just part of the human condition of like, and it's like in a lot of the religious texts, like the Bible, like in Genesis, where it's like, you know, I, I, you name all the animals and you have dominion, you know, and I, I always feel like that passage has been a little suspect how it's been interpreted, you know, over the, yeah. you know, to us, because I, I don't feel like that is not my, you know, when I'm connected with nature, I, I feel like the biggest um, awareness in me when I'm feeling I'm connecting with nature is that nature is informing me. Yes. I'm not informing nature. Yes. You know, and there is that, there is that aspect of being opened up to it that I find to be the most potent sense of like connectedness, you know, where I'm just, I'm under the spell, so to speak. So, yeah. 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 That's what I, I mean, that's what I wanted as a child, but I didn't know how to say that. And there was nobody there to say it Mm. to, to who was saying, do you want to go for a walk in the Canyon? Right, right. Let's, kids, let's all go, you know. So there wasn't even that option, I suppose. 
Also, well, yeah, okay. No. Oh, as I say, that's <clears throat> one thing I feel like I got from our DNA as well was uh, there's a language <laughs> that everybody was talking. So it's really easy to be in communication around what we were all experiencing because similar to me, to you, I had a lot of, you know, I was outside a lot as a kid and had a lot of exposure to nature, was very nature oriented, but I never talked to my friend or anybody about it. No one talked about nature. It wasn't like a conversation thing, you know, it was like spray the insects, you know, pick the food out of the garden. Exactly. That was pretty much it, you know. Kill the rattlesnakes, kill the ants. (laughs) You don't want them in your house. You don't want spiders and things. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. So I I think that was one of the sort of biggest, again, just sort of communicative creatures, right? So just getting into a context where people were describing nature in all these different ways. It was a prominent, it was the prominent topic of our entire time in that program was we're here to talk about nature, you know, and all the ways that we converse about it was really, I found to be really informing to just my, recognizing my own journey with nature to that point and the emotions that it brings mm-hmm. up like i was saying that's the part it's not just naming you know it's the same thing like you're talking about a robin the 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 birds that i know the names of specific crows blue jays you know the recognizable robins are sort of dismissed because mm-hmm. then because we have a name for them and then I don't look at them in the same way. The exotic ones that... So this quality of naming and counting and having some association with them rather than really paying attention. It's all new. Every day is new. And that kind of sensual, emotional... what that That's what happened to me, was that it was an emotional sensing, um, expanding my world from being a human being and managing and finding your way as a human being in this human being world was, was like, I mean, it's the same thing of wanting as a child growing up in Los Angeles, wanting to be in a secret garden, mm-hmm. you know? Going to be in a luscious, rose-filled hedge, you know, this thing of, again, some kind of sensual thing that I didn't have at my disposal, didn't have access to. And so, um, yeah, and I think that's the other part is that there was nobody in my life yeah um that was saying and pointing out how wild and wonderful the world was like i said and particularly being a female um there was danger to go out by yourself and I've always been really wanting to be in the night, you know, going out in the mm-hmm. night. And that's dangerous to go out by yourself at night. So that kind of wildness had, you know, those parameters and nobody was there saying, yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sneaky. You know. <laughs> we won't go into that. Um, but 
I think about that in terms of, you know, people coming out here and little kids coming out here and how this affects them and the, the magic of goats kind of goes back to what we were saying about all the toys and bringing all that crap with you. Right. Whereas if you just sit on the beat, if you just go out there and find a shell to dig with and all sorts of magic can happen. And yeah. The, and the eye starts seeing rather than relating to all the toys that you brought, it starts to see. And I think that's what did happen when I came here as a child. I mean, I have pictures of me at Drake's Beach when I'm seven and thinking that I've sat on that. I've been to that beach now for, I'm 69, so. Yeah, 52 years or 62 years. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's essentially the same. Right. It's familiar. So every time, it's like, you know, that's what it is. Gosh, it makes me cry. Yeah. This is my love, you know. This is unconditional love, both ways. There's no... Uh, it's just pure love. It's It just doesn't... It never asks anything from me, specifically... <clears throat> But it has taught me, uh, wow, it's, it's like, it expects something from me now. You know, when I go out to the shore, we're in, there's call and response. Yeah. It's not, uh, and, and that is my highest self is what it, mm. what that is, is it has shown me my highest self and, and the, you know, it, the same way. And I'm always at my highest self in a certain sense. It never says, ah, oh, gee, you know, <laughs> could have done a little better that time, you know? And, and the same thing with me and, you know, swimming in Tomales Bay, going into the bay every day, that same kind of thing. There's never this feeling like, oh, gosh, I wish that, you know, I wish the tide was higher. I wish, you know, it's sort of like, oh, oh God, we're going to have to like walk out all the way through the eelgrass. Oh, God, you know, and then, you know, two years later thinking, remember that day when we were out here and this happened and that happened and you have this reference and every time it is mind blowing that it's, you know, how can this be? How can this beauty be and just stay there and stay, you know, always in things that then would happen that you think, is this really happening? You know, every day going down late in the evening and swimming and then calling out for the kingfisher, you know, mm. and there they come. Mm. Did that? <laughs> Maybe, you know. Uh, and that's what I mean about there is, 
there's a relationship that's mutual that's reciprocity there's a there's a way that I expect myself to be because of what I've been given and mm-hmm. it's and it's great to be that way it's great to be yeah I like that <clears throat> it's like when you're seven you don't you don't know you're just there and you're just doing your thing but over time <clears throat> you start to reflect on your experience when you're in those spaces <clears throat> how you think how you feel starting to know every nook and cranny of the the ridge line on the cliff you know or just the shape of the bay and the sand like all that and it does become like this um like this uh almost like a living book yeah you know of which you're and it's like yeah. you're in that story because you're down there so much. <clears throat> and things like on the shore, there's these huge rocks. There's these huge rock things that are sometimes completely visible and standing up and you have to crawl, you know, crawl over them. And two weeks later, they, they're gone. Mm. There's, there's no trace. All right, right. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty extraordinary to me to have come from the family that I came from and the people and and thinking about this and to be so in love with a place and know that my life is completely shaped by, by that. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue, because <clears throat> I was just thinking about wanting to pull on your, uh, just your writing sensibilities and your love of mythology and story and, and seeing if there's a, um, you know, there's an allegory or a uh, analogy in there about just that, that very thing. Thinking about your start, where your roots, your family culture, and then how you became, you know, the proverbial black sheep, <clears throat> but what an extraordinary meadow you're in. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And just, uh, you know, what does that uh, bring to mind? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> you know, what does that bring to mind as far as like looking at it from a, a spiritual aspect or just from the story of aspect and the, you know, the history of humans and how we, how we've attempted over, you know, eons and eons with story trying to understand our point of being here. Gosh, I mean, so much comes to me when you're, when I'm thinking, when you're saying that about, you know, this, the mythology of having to leave home, having to go out and get lost and mm-hmm. go out somewhere um, far away, leave the, leave the garden, leave the, that longing. I mean, I think about when Martin Shaw first told the story about the third wild daughter, Valamon and the third wild daughter and, you know, her living in this castle and having everything she ever wanted. And then, you know, seeing outside the, the garden walls, you know, and seeing this thing and seeing this bear who's playing with a, a golden wreath. Uh-huh. And, and how much she wants that and it's outside and then she goes out and, and 
tries to, you know, buy the wreath from him. I'll give you, you know, all my jewels. And he says, you know, I'm a bear. Why would I want your jewels? And, and I'll give you, I don't know what else she says. And, and, but he's like, I'm a bear. And, and then I'm not always very good at remembering all this and probably making it up, but she, he says he'll come back and get her. And I guess he gives her the, he gives her the, the wreath. Like I said, I'm probably making, but she, and then she goes back and she tells her father that she's going to, you know, tells her mother and father that she's going to leave with this bear and that he's going to, and you know, the father's like, well, no, 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 no. You know, the first daughter's got to be married first. So we'll send her first. And, and, um, so she, the first daughter goes out and, and he says, okay, climb on my back. And they're riding along. And he tells, he asks her, is this the, the, the best thing you've ever done? Is this, you know, the best place you've ever been? And she says, no, I mean, I have a bedroom up at the top of the castle and I could see much further and, and, you know, he knocks her off and she has to go home and then they send the second daughter and she gets on the same thing happens. He asks her questions. She's like, no. And then the third daughter finally comes and she's like, yes, this is the best place I've ever been. And so they go, you know, flying off and then it goes on. And then he, of course, has to leave her. There's things that happen and she has to be on her own. So this taking one out of their comfort, mm -hmm. you know, of the known and recognizing that, that the, her, the third daughter recognizes she has to go no matter what. And then to find yourself alone, to find yourself in that place of why am I here? You know, now what? Right, how do I get myself in this pickle? Yeah. And I think, you know, that that's the, you know, that's the true story, both inner and outer. And if there's a landscape, if there's a place, at least that's what I realize now in my life, is there's a place that I can traverse, literally, that is recognizing me. I mean, I think that's, mm. that's what began to happen is that, I mean, that sounds, you know, sort of, I don't know, weird or anthropomorphic or something like, but it, it is, the land, we're here in it together. We're, it, it does, it needs us. It's, it's, those stories are real. To get lost on the land is to be, you know, recognized and to mm. find our way into being true humans that are connected to everything. Recognized by who? I'm curious more about that. Like what's doing the recognition and what's being recognized? Well, it's sort of like what we were saying before, you know, spirit, our spirit, our, our true nature, not... You know, it's like in fairy tales when they talk about, you know, the once upon a time there was a, the princess was the fairest of them all. They're not talking about a blonde, big boobed. <laughs> yeah, they're not talking about that. They're talking about fairness. They're talking about rightness. They're talking about 
balance, justness, mm-hmm. justice, you know, and that recognition of what that's what we're out there for is that perfection that for me wants me to see that in me mm-hmm. and and when I see that, which I can't not see, it's just so that is a reflection of me. So that understanding that there is no separation, that um, the expectation of myself to behave in like that, with that kind of understanding, there is, I too am a spiritual being. Each blade of grass, every single leaf on those trees is, is, a, is a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. Not just the tree and the story we make up about the tree, but every single drop of rain. I mean, that can we live in that magnitude, in that magnificence? In, of course, you know, it's like, well, yeah, good luck. Um, <laughs> but it, the trying, and the that's what I mean about the recognition. So going out there to be seen so that I can hold my place, so that I can... Mm you know, be reminded of this. Yeah. Well, I want to go back a half step to when you were talking about, I can't remember how you said it, but going out there to that beach. And it was, I don't know if this, this is exactly what you said, but you said something to the effect of, like you helped make that place. So I forgot how you said it, but like you're an integral part of that place because you've been going there for so long. And then you kind of shied away from it. But I thought, well, no, that's, there really would be, I, I think there's some science to that even because you think about <clears throat> the, the, the way that whole beach was formed, right? That just the way the landscape is and the way the waves come up on it every day and the way the sand runs in off and on it and whatever's coming off the cliffs and the animals that come up and do their thing, like that has made that place the way it is. And you had a presence there too. So even if it's like, Point zero 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 one percent of a of an impact, like you you've had an impact. Like you're, you know, just going there every day. There is a there's a a wavelength of recognition, just because the air is bouncing off of your body as opposed to having no obstacle to the shore or the sun's reflecting off whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, there's there's this presence that yeah. I do feel like on a on a um, just a molecular level. Yeah. It's like oh, she's here. You know, like, places, everyone, you know, like, we got to put a show on here. She's got to see herself. And it's our job to make sure that happens, you know. And which I feel like, you know, metaphorically speaking, to me, that's that's a place, right? I too, that's how I like to think about when I go out into nature alone, that, yeah, I'm the most esteemed guest, you know. Like everything that I see, every bird that flies that I hear or or squirrel or lizard that scrambles or cool rock I see or whatever it is, you know, poison oak that I go through and without knowing, you know, there, that's all a production yes. for me to, to mm. feel a part of, mm. you know, to the, it's an invitation mm-hmm. of like, Hey, look at all, look at all we're showing you and doing for you because mm-hmm. you're the one here right now. And it's not like you're here with a thousand people and we're doing this for a big crowd. It's like, we're doing this, like this whole, whatever I can take in in that moment is for me. 
you know? Yeah. And, and my role is to, to go like, oh my God, look at you. You know, just reflect it back of like, this is amazing. I'm amazing. You're blah, 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 blah. You know, like, <laughs> and I feel like as, as much as I've been in, I've gotten way more comfortable with it now, but there was a long period where I'd be like taking in a beautiful sunset or a great walk at dusk or just seeing something amazing by myself dozens of times and just being like, oh, wouldn't it have been great if there was someone here to have that moment with me? But then I realized over time that no, actually it wouldn't be great. It would suck. Because <laughs> then it wouldn't just be for me. You know, there's something I, I really re- appreciate now about the, like when it's just me and I get to take that all in for myself, there's something that feels like vulnerable and special and unique and blessed and mundane and mm-hmm. all of it. It's like there's that moment of just like, well, of course that just happens. I'm just another piece of nature looking at itself, mm-hmm. watching all this. You know, I just I just happen to be one of those pieces of nature that actually chose to like pay attention, you know, in this moment or put myself in a location to see what's going on all the time. And um, And I don't know what to attribute that to what what inspires me or motivates me to go put myself in those places you know like I don't know that's just what I like to do right. like I read a book or someone told me it's just sort of like I like to do it you know and so yeah I just feel like there's um and then I feel like wow what if everybody you know you think about how crazy the world is out there kind of clicking out to the bigger picture of modernity and technology and globalism and just all the stuff that humans are up to and thinking like for me like if i could just get putin out for a desert sunset one day yeah you know it would change his life you know and therefore change the world and um and that's really what i just i feel like everybody needs to and i kind of feel like you know i'm just going to extrapolate all this climate change i do feel like is that um that gentle wake up alarm bell that's slowly turning into a evacuate klaxon. <laughs> you know, there's like a window that we're in right now that I feel like is is the opportunity. It's like if 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 ever at a, at a time there was a global awareness of nature, it's now, and it's t- a terrifying one. But everyone's aware of it. Everyone's aware, for the most part, that nature is a huge part of our life. It's just not the best story to introduce them to it with. But at least they're aware. Right. You don't want to have to come in with Alarma the Incendio. You know, you want to come in with a big bouquet of flowers or, you know, and say, or a packet of seeds. Mm -hmm. And... You know, can you imagine this? And you start having that us be touched. I mean, that's sort of what we're talking about is that's how I know this place called me because nobody, no human being was saying I got to be, no human was saying, yeah, you should go there or Mm -hmm. this, you should have this funky little life out in the middle of nowhere. And so that call and response where we're at at this point. I mean, it's sort of like that thing I wrote about the secret life of human. I want to write a book about the secret life of humans because mm-hmm. hello, you know, 
this is not a secret. This fundamental, we're all in this together, is not a secret. It's no longer the Western mind, the Western people know this, the indigenous people knew it, have known it in their body, it's in their, and it's in us. Mm. It's in me, even as a Westerner. And so, you know, I, it is in me because it is me. That All of that is me. And I'm made up of the same, you know, material world and our programming and what the choice, the making the choice. So how we educate our children, you know, we were talking earlier about the creative process about mm -hmm. art and music and dance. And, and I think about the Sabbath, you know, of taking a day off. You don't have to go anywhere. Just sit in your own backyard, you know, Tend your own garden. Watch what happens if you do that on a regular basis. You know, once a week where that kind of a rhythm, um, that would change everything. It seemed like that's what was happening in the beginning of the pandemic mm -hmm. when we watched right. everything stop and all the canals in Venice cleared up and everyone was writing about how they could hear the dawn chorus mm -hmm. from all that they'd never even heard these birds that it was so quiet and peaceful and it got it got cleaned up in mm. you know a matter of weeks rather than what we were thinking this is going to take you know 50 no all we have to do is stop and what if we stopped once a week what if there was a, a, you know this kind of thing or turned off the lights don't use any electricity and then that's what the old sabbath was you didn't work mm -hmm. What? Well, why would you want to work all the time? You know, right, I mean, right. what do they say? If if work was so great, then the rich people would would do it. You know, and then like <laughs> we've been fed this bill of goods that's working, and so that you can have I don't know. I mean, for me, just more crap. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. So that nature awareness. You know, that ability that we got to go and practice this, to play and to practice, and was edgy. I mean, it was, it was uncomfortable a lot at the time to be out in the elements all the time in yeah. the rain. It wasn't, it wasn't glamping by any <laughs> stretch of the imagination. But that edginess, I mean, you know, we all got to go home, too, at some point. So that's the thing is that same thing we were talking about in mythology and the story, you take yourself out of the comfort zone. You risk everything for a period of time to find out, you know, what you, what's, what you haven't looked at yet. Mm -hmm. So if you go out to the shore without any toys, without anything, and just lay there all day, like you're saying, and that's the other thing about being solo that we were talking about mm -hmm. Because, again, nobody gosh, nobody took me out. I never had any boyfriends who wanted to camp or, you know. And, and my, you know, I just look back and I think, wow, yeah, right. And all the, the girlfriends, they didn't, they just, we just, that wasn't what we did. 
But so I was forced to go out on my own. Mm. And like I said, at first that was scary. And then the second thing was like, oh, gosh, no. Wouldn't it be fun to share this with somebody, you know? And they, But now I know that that single, that solo, that solitude, that with singularity, things came for me to see. Mm. And if if I had been with somebody else, I'm, I'm not so sure that's what would be revealed, you know? Things were have been shown to me that I could never... I'm not even so sure they happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, sort of that thing of like, is anybody else seeing this, <sighs> you know? That is really meant to go from a, into a spiritual dimension. It's not, it's not about marking my card and, you know. Right. Saw 14 whales jumping up after I just sung a song about whales, you know, say, so, uh, that stuff. I make, is, I make a hashtag joke now, but you probably don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> hashtag, I sort of know the term. <laughs> I don't really know what it, I keep thinking of hash browns and like dog tags. And I think, how does that go together? Uh, yeah. Well, to me, I think, yeah, just hearing that piece, that's funny. I'll, I'll have to tell you the, well, I'll tell now since we're recording, but um, <clears throat> I was down doing my own thing about two weeks ago before I left for a little while. I was down on one of the beaches north of Santa Cruz. Um, cause I love walking on those beaches. They're all rustic and cliffy and empty. And I was out there and was coming up to the car, did a good walk and was just sitting down, looking over the ocean, over the bluff, just cause it was a beautiful evening or getting to be evening. And I saw a little spray. It's like, Oh, it's a whale. And then I saw another spray and I was like, Oh my God, I think there's whales out there. And then another spray. And I was like, Oh my God, there's like a lot of whales. And I had my binoculars with me, and for the next 45 minutes, I just watched I, I probably 35, 40 whales go by. And probably, like, I don't know, 10 or 15 flukes, and they were slapping the water. And then I saw a few, like, big breaches. And they're, like, a half mile or more, like, probably closer to a mile out there. Out oh. there. But I was, and th- there was people on the beach, a few people on the beach. And then there was a couple people who came over and saw and so I get to share a moment with like three or four of the people. But I was thinking like these whales were going all the way down the coast. You know, I'm just like, how how many people are on the coast? Exactly. How many people are seeing this right now? And I was just like, like who gets this live? You exactly. know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And all that's going on all the time. Yeah. I mean, the other night I couldn't sleep. I mean, I woke up. And all of a sudden, I, and I realized that the owls probably woke me mm. This owl was doing, and I could tell it was over by the creek. It was on that side. And it was making this sort of monkey sound. Get it up. <laughs> and, uh, and then from over here, this call, this response was, like this. <laughs> and then, oh, 
I don't know, was it devastating? Then this yeep sound back. And that went on for the longest time. And I was, you know, I was in, got up by my window and just was listening and thinking, please don't let this ever stop, mm, you know? Mm. It's just so amazing. And, and then I realized they were both over there and they had made found their way to each other. And the sounds were coming. There was no, that yipping sound had stopped and they were just both. And, uh, you know, and, and you know, they're, I know they're owls, but I can't see them, but they're revealing this sound to me that's filling up the night. Extraordinary to me, Mm. just extraordinary. And of course I want to see them, but, you know. Well, what, what makes it extraordinary? Like, let's just get into like, what is it really that's going on for you when those moments happen? Well, I mean, I, I guess part of it is sort of mythical, you know, that here's an animal revealing itself in the middle of the night that I know is an owl. So I have a picture of this being and then, and, and already I have sort of a, a admiration or, you know, but it's an owl mm. in the middle of the night and they're calling, they're having this life and I'm getting to witness something uh, that's usually hidden. So there's some magic that comes in that in this particular moment, just sound, let's just say sound. It's just like singing. It's like hearing a song, hearing a choir sing that kind of majesty. So this, that this these animals make this sound. Mm. This is how they communicate. And it's a particular, it's not like anything, it's not a coyote sound. It's not me and you talking. It's that particular being's language. Mm. And I'm getting to hear it. And I'm getting to play with how that comes into my life and why I'm awake in the middle of the night. So I can do all sorts of, I can do all sorts of things with it for me in my own mythical sort of landscape. But just the fact that this something that sounds in the dark are, I can hear them Mm. is I, I, it is. I mean, now that I think about it, it's like, that is incredible. Yeah, I mean, for me... It, it, I mean, think about, it's the same thing, like, with the whale being able... Mm-hmm. The whales are out there in the ocean all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When they reveal themselves to you, who knows if it's not particular, right? right. I don't... That, that moment... If things are as they always should be, the, so the particular, the wildness that that was, so there they are. All of a sudden, you see one, you know, this thing is going to go on in front of you that you have to be awake and aware to. Mm-hmm. So, like, it wouldn't be seen if it wasn't seen. It wouldn't, would, I mean, it's like the Zen, you know, does a tree. Make a sound. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is there any life out there without us seeing it? Is all that green 
that we're looking out there, is that us in our iframe pulling in all the light and all the, I think it is, mm -hmm. you know, and much, much more. It's Yeah. There's a piece in there for me with thinking of, you know, if you watch a nature show, you, you, you know, you get, you get the sense that this planet is like just overflowing with life forms, which it is. But in a nature show, it's like, it's like, oh, you see this stuff's out there all the time. And maybe like in Africa and the Serengeti, it still is. But around, I would say, anywhere I've been, it's not. Like, you don't see it. You see, the, you see some insects, you see some birds. Once in a while, you catch a glimpse of something else. But the, the amount of life, other life forms, I guess that's kind of yeah. what does it for me. It says other life forms. Like, we're a life form. And there's these, there's these other life forms out there around us all the time on a very small scale. And when it comes to whales, like on a gigantic scale, <laughs> like, you know, on a scale that can harm us, you know, on a scale that we need to interact with on a certain level to live. And we just never, almost never see it or hear it. No. Or just, it's almost like in a different dimension yeah. until we really put ourselves in a context where that dimension gets revealed to us. Right. We start to see and hear these things. Right. You know. And we protect ourselves from mm. that. We, we, we're not living in caves with bears, you know, and, and how that's come about and how that separation has removed. I mean, when you think about stories, I remember thinking, teaching some class and thinking, yeah, why, why is it all those old fairy tales are all about the ants come out and help, uh -huh. you know, and clean the house and the birds fly in and, you know, and the mice do all this stuff. We don't know if, if a mouse is in the house, we're killing it, you know? <laughs> well, why not ask it to do the dishes, you know? Or mm -hmm. what are we perhaps not? And my grandsons always say, you know, Grandma Monkey, how come there's so many spiders in your house? Mm -hmm. You know, and I say, well, they were here first. And, mm -hmm. you know, every so often I sort of dust and tell them to get out, but they always come back. So... They're just here. And that, like you said, it's full of life. The tiniest. Remember when we were in our DNA and we'd sit out and this, the, I realize now this is so me, but we'd sit out in the fields and everybody, you know, be dark and dawn, be raining or whatever. And we'd come back and everybody was like, did you see the, you know, red tail and then the coyote came down and stuff and I'd be like yeah and I saw just before I fell asleep after the last <laughs> fell back asleep I saw the tiniest orange spider you know about mm. the size of a pinhead mm. because what you know just sitting down on this little patch and having all this life that was moving that I just sat on probably right. you know a hundred little beings but all that is going on and over and that I sat on all those beings and then more of them are going to just come and mm -hmm. be there. And what are those little orange spiders doing? <laughs> right. Right. What's their, what's their, what's their job? Yeah. 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 
And they're here for, you know, it reminds me when we were talking about, remember that Bob Dylan song? Men give names to all the animals. Yeah. In the beginning. In the beginning. And it's like something like, saw a, saw a little squiggly tail, called it a pig. Describes this thing of this, you know, us naming something and putting it in a category, and then then having a relationship with the pig. Right, right. And it's like, well, I don't have a relationship with that little spider because it's basically invisible, or the, you know, the ants that come. Mm. And what what might it be? Like I was saying to you earlier, as I get older and older, is that what's going to happen? You know, the house is going to. Things are going to come and the little snakes living in here and, you know, the ants will be yeah. crawling everywhere. I mean, it feels that life feels more, much more alive and appealing to me than certainly, you know, living in an old folks home or something. <laughs> right. It's all sterile. And, yeah. 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 That sort of dirty well, that nature comes to claim its own in the end, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Makes me want to reread The Prodigal Son, because that's almost what it feels like a little bit. Really? Yeah, I actually had a thought about that story the other day, because I was thinking, like, you know, at least in my upbringing, whenever I heard that story, it was all about the celebration that this way, you know, wayward son had returned. Right. <clears throat> but the word prodigal... Yeah, what prodigious. Is you know, it's like, no, he went out and made something of himself, actually. Oh. You know, he went out and, like, saw the world. And yeah. Then he, and then he came back. And then, I'm, so I wanted to go back and reread that story because I'm sort of like, what is, what's the real? Like, in my upbringing in that, in the Baptist church context. Right. It was all, it was basically mirroring the, you know, the, the person who comes back to Christ, you know, like right. just, we go off, we mess up, we come back and recognize we're loved and oh. re resubmit to, you know, follow oh. Christ. But I think there's something else in that story that wasn't really talked about because, you know, just the name of it. Well, right. And isn't it sort of, I mean, if you think of returning to the village or returning home in the hero's journey mm -hmm. in the mythical story of having to go out like in the wild third daughter the hardest part is returning home mm -hmm. and to some degree like what we're talking about about being solo about going out and having these extraordinary occurrences or you know relationships and things and then you come home and you know life goes on yeah. and and it's meant to be that way in a certain sort of sense. And so, but returning home and being part of life as it exists is a hard, after you've had a revelatory, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were saying this earlier too when I got here, which there's, you know, the all the systems we've put into place to to be conducive to living a modern convenience progressive life do not accommodate this other way of being you know like there's like people want to want you to come back and tell you what you heard in the news on fox or what, how good the movie was or whatever 
no one really wants to hear about the sand dollar who moved an inch in 45 <laughs> minutes. You know, that's like, it's like, not news to them. <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know. But I, but I, you know, to a set of ears here, like, I'm like, oh my God, you, you saw how many sand, how many dead sand dollars have I seen, you know, and to actually hear a story of someone who actually saw a live one move, it's like, like. I know. Call the press. Oh, exactly. That's the way I feel like, too. Can you believe this? It's like, uh, yeah, I got to be going. I'll see you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But. But I guess. Well, I'm just thinking about the time that it takes. Mm. You know, and sometimes people will, you know, say to me, oh, you're so lucky that you live out here. Well, I also want to say, you know, I made choices both consciously and unconsciously to live a life that wasn't very productive (laughs) in the sense of the world, you know, I don't have any, I don't have a college, I don't have any letters after my name, I don't have uh, a resume that I don't have any savings. I don't own a house. I The richness, the wildness that I wanted came this way. Mm. It came in this package. It came making those kinds of choices um, for me. And I think that, you know, one of the things about this work that I did with women on the land with story and called the wedding dress project was this thought came to me. I mean, it was all around the material world and did it matter that, I mean, in the case of the wedding dress, it came to me, did it matter that you wore a garment on the one day that you took the human beings, most human beings only take one sacred vow, unless they take a religious sacred vow but the, uh, of marriage. Did it matter that you wore a garment that was made in a sweatshop or by people who couldn't even feed their families? Did it have an effect upon you to wear clothing <clears throat> and where it came from and how it was made? Mm-hmm. Did that maybe sort of that question of does it well then everything matters right Mm -hmm. if this mat if if the sand me seeing the sand dollar moving that means that everything's moving that means that everything is matters it has that potency and so you were sort of talking about that on one of your done the solstice podcast about you know computers and where they come from and Mm -hmm. and this thing of if we really look at sourcing, if we are spiritually, you know, in if where this silk came from for this dress, if you knew where, you know, if you even imagine where it goes back to the silkworm, you know, if you have that awareness, does that change what happens? And so that was my question. Does it matter what we wear? Mm-hmm. I love clothes. Does it matter that we wear things and how they're made and particularly looking at 
wedding and looking at love looking does it so when we create a, a a context to hold ceremony does it matter what's there and and this was increasingly becoming a question as i watched from my generation where we just where people just got buried out in the field barefoot in you know a dress from a thrift store or a dress they made to this increasing um, context of huge weddings and huge consum- what feel like consumption for a day rather than why you know and then divorce being so prominent mm-hmm. so was this really holding up was it really holding up right. you know sort of what was it holding up and so this thing came to me of what if women got together and took apart a wedding dress, like seam rippers, took apart every seam and sat in a circle and were basically completely unproductive. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> so we're undoing. And in the process, we would tell stories. We would, you know, about what's love. What, what are the things you're hearing? Who told you what, what's the context that we're holding? And could we unpack these things? Could we bring to the surface that, which is unseen, you know, and, and then what would be the reforming? What would, what would we come up with? Just asking those questions, not, um, not that anything's wrong, but sorted out in a certain sense to me, because what I could see in terms of sacred practices and sacred vows, that humans weren't, it wasn't holding up very well. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, don't go to church, don't you know, be a Catholic, don't, you don't, but what are you? What are you holding up? And what is the spiritual dimension that you stand for? And you can create out of. Um, so somebody doesn't tell you what to do. You know from here. Mm-hmm. That this has formed as a real process of. Um, so what I was to say about is those things take time. They're not. They're not answers. They're not. They're not. An answer that comes quickly. It's a, something that takes time. That one sort of wanders around in and and that kind of thing of unpacking all your bags and being well now what do i now what do i believe in or what do i see and i think isn't that sort of the what going out on quest is is yeah yeah i'd say it's very similar i mean what i was actually liking about the the visual of a a wedding dress taken apart I mean, to me, that's almost similar to seeing a live sand dollar. Like, who's seen a wedding dress completely taken apart? Like, nobody. Nobody sees that. Right? Unless you take the time to sit there while it happens and you having your part in it. And to me, that's kind of like a nice little allegory where it's like, like your role with the sand dollar was just to sit there and watch. And, and draw a line. That was that was your part of the assignments. Like with the wedding dress project, someone's role is to take this hem out here, 
while someone else takes this time out over there. And if everybody sits there and takes the time and, and does the task, then you get to see this thing that, you know, reveals itself, which is unique and not seen by most. So that's kind of a cool little thing I saw Gosh. there, you know. Yeah, I never thought about that. I mean. Well, and then thinking about a deconstructed wedding dress as a, as a uh, visual to then start deconstructing our thoughts and ideas around exactly. love and commitment exactly. and relationship and. Yeah, getting back to the core essence of like, why is why is this a thing to begin with? You know, is it a thing for me? And should I, you know, do I do I really hold it differently when I look at the base components of it, apart from all this other, you know, stuff that's been built up around it? And that is, you know, what your belief system is, your subconscious, subconscious, what you've been fed and used in order to find your way in this world, that's the whole thing about going out and having your mind blown mm. or going out, you know, taking steps to, it isn't that that's not true, but possibly it's not true or possibly <laughs> there's more that you can't see that when that comes in, how does that add? It's like adding paint Mm. you know adding another color on there then what happens to the what happens there yeah this relationship of tone and yeah. lights and darks and you know so thinking about taking something apart it's taking ourselves apart mm. taking what we know about ourselves or about deconstructing that in order in order for nothing to happen a i think and B, for something to come to me that is, that I can't even imagine. Mm. I mean, is is in my imagination somewhere, but it's, it has to come, it has to come from this and this sort of meeting, mm. you know, of, I was thinking about that this year, watching the persimmon tree now for 12 years and 13 years in this house and you know there it is out the window it's completely sticks there's not a, you know it's just brown and it's just completely sticks like this and then one day all of a sudden there's bumps on the sticks there there's little ridges you can start to you know it's kind of <laughs> you don't have to go out and touch it and think pretty tricky, you know, <laughs> you thought I wasn't watching, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, a few days go by and, and there's out of the corner of my eye, there's, uh, you know, this, this green, this yellow, this light flash, there's a, you know, some kind of, and you realize that this, there's a, you know, a curl of a leaf that's now popped through I mean, and then you go out and you feel the leaf, the leaf comes out. The leaf is like paper, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. it has pushed, it has pushed its way through this hard wood. It's mm. unbelievable. Yeah, it is. And what, what begins this thing that keeps just revealing itself over and over again to me, which is the, the whole cosmos 
the light is changing, the sun is, you know, moving. And so this is hitting the heat and the warmth and the way the whole world is, is hitting this persimmon tree and down in its roots, the very bottom of the earth is pushing, the center of the earth is pushing itself up to reveal itself as this is pulling it at the same time. They're like, you know, it has mm. to be together. Mm. It's the same motion to meet in this place that could not be done without each of them. Right. And then the, 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 the fact that it turns into a leaf and then a group of leaves, and then a pattern of leaves, and then this whole thing, and then pretty soon, you know, the fruit starts to come out of where just the leaves were. That... Right? Yeah, that stuff is too much. It is too much, and it's happening just all the time, right? It's just... It's just natural. It's just the right thing to do, and it is mind-blowing to me. It just is, if I didn't have that, if that didn't exist, if it was just humans, no offense to humans, myself included, <laughs> you know, I'd be out the door. I'd yeah. be, you know, it just. Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of impressive things, but yes. we still haven't done anything quite on that level. And so willingly, that's the part, mm. just show up. Play your part, like that, that thing I wrote, you know? Yeah. Take your part in the billion-year-old stardust in the garden, you know? It's... And leave it better than you found it, you know? Mm. Like, we can do that. That's what humans are here to do, is to leave it better than we found it, because our job is to go higher mm. to understand and then take responsibility for you know like and that we're right at that right aren't we yeah we're right there which kind of leads me to my kind of final curiosity I mean we could go all day I know I, I love this yeah, but I, I, I want to be kind to our listeners so <laughs> um but yeah, just to kind of take it to the big picture, looking forward, because we kind of started looking back, you know, from your kid and now looking at, you know, what we, you know, what you perceive with what you understand with what's happening with the climates and again, just your love of story and mythology and your personal history with nature and you know, just kind of taking all these components and looking at it and just thinking like, what, you know, what do you feel like your purpose is? For the rest of your time here on this planet, in that context, like, not that you have to go out and start a foundation and save the world, but, you know. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Why, why do you think you've gotten what you've got? Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, why have I gotten what I've gotten? Well, you know, I think that I was created to... Um, to bring, let's see, I don't know exactly know how to say this. 
I think that what I understand about myself now is that my job is an artist. My job is, that's what I'm, that's my gift. It's my mission. And I, what I feel now in this time in history is that the creative process, singing and dancing and drawing and painting and moving and playing is how we find our way. That this, uh, this not knowing and then forming something like we were talking about before um, is literally the way in. So things like, you know, drawing the same plant in your yard for every day for six months, a five minute, you know, whatever, that paying attention, that not knowing that this third thing is there, they have that. You have the flower, you have this, you have yourself, and then this third thing comes, this acknowledgement, and this call and response begins to happen. And that paying attention is equally paying attention, you know, is mm. training, is developing this, I think, the consciousness of the spiritual life in everything. So we're moving from understanding science and understanding technology and getting brilliant at it to it's now hardening and will become too, you know, earth matter. So this kind of hardening, you know, in, in, in storytelling, the, 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 uh, the masculine that's caught that, that is iron. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, where it just becomes, where pyrites, you know, where it comes. So this movement towards, you know, everything we can know and what we see and how it is and science and proving it is, we're done. We're, we've got there. And that lift up now into how is this connected to everything is this kind of unknowing. Is this, it's like knowing something and now unknowing it. Mm. What do we do with that? How do we keep that illuminating so that it stays warmth and it generates warmth and curiosity and mystery rather than hardening into just science? It's spiritual science. It's, it's an enlivening. It's even more. Mm. It's even better. You know, it's not bad. It's, it's, it's amalgamated. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so we, so my, you know, dream for the next part of my life would be to have a big barn, a big space that was filled with all the materials that I have for sewing and drawing and painting and that people came there and did that and played. And it was just ongoing that that was sort of part of the village and part of every village and um, 
I, I know that's true. I know that playing, you know, all that when I worked with teenagers, when I worked with kids in drama, you know, the they're terrible. We're all terrified of revealing ourselves, but through this play, literally a play, you know, playing mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a play, a context of where we become something that we weren't before. And that's what I knew about being an actor was, oh, that's transformation. I got to become somebody for a period of time to understand their thinking and what they are. So I like walked around in somebody else's shoes. Well, isn't that what we need to do with each other? Mm. To hear each other's stories, to cross thresholds, to play with each other and find out this, the third thing, you know, what's, what, what do we make of this? That's what seems, uh, and it seems really easy to me. It seems, uh, it's when I see it, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's like the Emerald City or something. <laughs> it is. It's like getting to this place of understanding. Um, and of course, you know, after they get home from the Emerald City and they bring the broom to the Wizard of Oz, you know, they find out the truth that it, it was always at home. It was just, mm. it was us humans that need to just do this awakening, mm -hmm. awakening to this life. And so, you know, I want a big barn where we all could live, you know, sort of thing. I want a big house where we all could live. How long have you worked at that bookstore? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. And man, I'm telling you, the transformation of what I've gone through of working at the bookstore, you know, from the, it being the middle of town in this place that became a destination that I didn't want that to happen, to I have literally conversations on Sundays that I think are in the angelic realm. I'm not mm -hmm. sure these people are really, you know, I never see them again. And things happen that are... So I know from standing in a bookstore in a land of stories in a building that I've been in for 50 years, I have, you know, lived upstairs and the old hit with all the dance house was there. So we, this building has housed and literally given all many, many stories of my life. Now I'm there and now it continues to, that's what I mean. That's why I know that things can happen beyond what, what, because it does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My own limited thinking, I've had my mind blown on those things, you know, about people, which was, you know, that's the hardest part to me. <laughs> and it's more than I could. And I, think because that is there's the there's something between us there's the divine there's this other that's us that we're waiting to make happen together 
the union, the sacred union, the sacred marriage mm-hmm. thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was, like, going back to what I was saying about realizing the land is my love. The land is has taught me about love, mm-hmm. truly unconditional love. I don't, I'm not sure I have that with humans yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think staring at the land is ideal because, <clears throat> you know, we all come from the land where I'm always very fond of just reminding myself and anyone else that all this stuff hanging off our bones, <laughs> that comes out of the ground. So, yeah. Yeah, you were saying, um, and it is, we're made up, our bodies are the same as the body of the earth mm-hmm. and everything. So, yeah, dig that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we should end it there because otherwise we're just going to cover everything. On this I know. Geez, yeah. I know. <laughs> Stay tuned for another exciting episode <laughs> where Sean and Lisa find their way through the universe. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely do that because I think about the great conversations we had and how great it would be had them all recorded. But if we can capture a few. I'd love it. Yeah. I love it. What a great opportunity to share from our wild beginnings. Yeah. You know, and I think about it, we'll just end on this, that I think about you often, even today when I was waiting for you, that day when I was having a hard time at the bookstore and I wrote to you and I said, I don't think I can stand these people and what to do. And you said, look out, look further, look up, look for the birds, you know, Mm -hmm. and even just in my window, just, looking out and today I was waiting for you and this little bird I could tell was just flitting around and I I thought yeah come closer Mm. you know come closer so I can see you and now how still can I get so how can I get out of my own way you know and see all that's there thank you for that yeah All right, folks, uh, that is the show for today. Lisa, thank you so much for uh, hosting me at your lovely home and sitting down and talking with me. Always a pleasure. It's something I've enjoyed doing for, wow, over a decade now. And I will continue enjoy doing that. We'll do it again real soon. And for the listening audience, thanks again for tuning in. Um, Do you have an elder in your life? Do you actually uh, understand fully the potential of what an elder can bring to one's life? If not, well, you're in luck because I'm going to do a podcast on that real soon. Talking about elders. What is an elder? Why are they something that could be valuable to you? And how are you valuable to an elder? It's not really something that's uh, prominent in our culture these days. But if you look into the past, into older cultures, older civilizations, uh, it was quite prominent, you know, and this idea that uh, those who have gone before us might know a little something about what we're about to get into and how to find um, one or two or three or more, you know, whatever it takes, uh, people who you resonate with, who you can sit and listen to and share with and receive uh, their wisdom and uh, receive their listening to your life 
and to um, just to be that extra guiding eye, someone other than your parents or in-laws or uh, you know family members, which you know loving as they are and as supportive of you as they are, um, they're a little bit uh, bound to uh, protecting you and trying to look out for you in a certain way because hey, they're family; they can't help it. But getting that outside elder can be really uh, instructive and instrumental in helping you see your blind spots and giving you that extra sort of unique support you might need coming from an outside opinion. In the meantime, uh, as we always say, as I always say, uh, check out risingman.org. I'm telling you, there's programs in there that will straight up change your life. Straight up. That's why I'm here. Um, They've changed my life. Men's work, quote unquote, has changed my life. And basically that just means uh, putting myself in a context and circle of men that is safe, vulnerable, open, supportive, and willing to grapple with life through the male experience uh, the way that we all have to in a constructive way that we can all learn from. So there's a variety of programs in there. There's something for everybody, even if you're just someone, you know, young man who's just getting out in the world on their own all the way up through uh, fathers with families and kids. There's a room for you too to sit and listen and to share uh, experience with other men going through that too. Risingman.org. Until then, I will see you next time. I am Sean Barry, your host for First Nature. And find out more about who you are inside by getting outside. Outside.